Welcome, everybody, to this podcast by the European Foundation Center, the EFC, ahead of the annual EFC conference in Vienna in October. This is a series of podcasts covering the four thematic tracks of the conference. That's climate, democracy, philanthropy, and this one is on society. We're looking at the impact of the COVID pandemic on society, among other issues, aggravating inequality, rolling back the progress that we've seen in trying to close that gap on inequality. And joining us to talk about that is uh, Claire Boulanger of the Solid, she's a solidarity expert at the Fondation de France. And Claire, you will be moderator for the society track uh, during the conference. Uh, you have uh, also been in the past head of mission for Médecins du Monde in the Balkans during the war there, uh, in the Great Lakes, uh, in the aftermath of the genocide in Rwanda. I covered both of those theaters at those times, so I can quite relate to that and why we're so committed uh, to talking about society now. And Sarah, Sarah uh, Lewillen, uh, the chief, she or chief executive of the Barrow Cadbury Trust, focusing on strategic direction and social justice impact. You have a background in social justice activism. Welcome to you both. And before I talk to you both, I'd like to first talk to the conference chair, uh, Franz Karl Puller of the Erste Foundation to introduce and welcome everybody to Vienna. How, are the, how is the organization going for the conference? Thank you, Chris. Um, yes, on behalf of the uh, program committee, as well as the host committee for the conference, I would like to welcome everybody to, to this uh, podcast. Um, yeah, we are preparing um, a conference uh, after almost two-year hiatus um, where we have not seen each other, where we have been confined to our own homes very often. And finally, we can come out, we can meet, and we hope that um, the gathering in Vienna in October will be uh, a new uh, beginning for many of us in, in our relationships, uh, in the way we work, um, in the way we view the future, um, the future of, of our work and the future of society. And we would like to make this um, conference an event that uh, brings together the members of the EFC um, for the first time, as I said, in more than two years, um, and that will allow us to re-establish connections, links, um, friendships, uh, and uh, that we can from there on move forward uh, into a future that looks rather different from what it looked when we met the last time in Paris. Um, I think in the Leonard Cohen, there's a Leonard Cohen song where there's a line that says, there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And I think the pandemic has shown um, us the cracks um, very clearly, but um, as every crisis is also a chance, I think these cracks are really a chance to, to let light in. And for us as foundations, as important players in civil society, to see these cracks, to see where there are the new chances that are opening up and not just see the problems or the challenges, but to see the chances that this offers, I think is the main purpose for the conference in Vienna. And I hope that we really uh, can gather and, uh, and move forward together uh, from there. We have prepared a number of very, hopefully very um, helpful social gatherings. Um, we will also be able to see some of the Viennese attractions like the White Horses, uh, the Lipizzaners, 
uh, we will have good times um, together with with music uh, and perhaps even dance if that's allowed. Uh, so uh, I'm really for looking forward and welcoming as many as possible to Vienna. Thank you. Hans Karl, thank you very much. Uh, let's uh, get a couple of uh, comments as well from Delphine Morales, who is chief executive of uh, the uh, foundation. And uh, let's uh, hear a little bit from Delphine on also on the plans for Vienna. Delphine, please. Thank you, Chris. And, uh, and thank you indeed, Franz. Uh, it's been two years, as you mentioned, of not seeing each other and indeed two years in which the world has gone through the biggest wave of disruption actually in, in a generation. Um, so, so with that in mind, um, we've prepared what I believe to be quite a rich program focusing on the four broad issues that you've mentioned, Chris. And I would say that perhaps the one we are talking about today, society, is the one that has most visibly been um, affected by the pandemic. Um, because when we look at the reality of things, it's, it's really uh, striking to see how the crisis has disproportionately impacted on young people, people in precarious situation, um, people who are struggling with unemployment already um, and have been uh, even more uh, vulnerable in that context, women, um, single parent household caretakers, children living in precarious households who've been discriminated um, in terms of their ability to participate actively in homeschooling, for instance, um, and people living in, in poverty with indeed an aggravated um, issue of, of income inequality again through the crisis. And, and what we've seen in that context is that foundations and philanthropic organizations, in fact, have really come to the fore um, in responding to these societal problems um, in, in research that we have undertaken um, at the beginning and, and more uh, later um, in the development of the crisis really illustrated how foundations have changed their way of working, have very much responded to the immediate needs of uh, societies and people around them. And they have done that very much through an increased collaboration, uh, collaboration within the organizations, collaboration between foundations and the authorities, and also collaboration between foundations and their grantees to really try to look for solutions together. Um, so, so the society track will very much explore the challenges, but also the opportunities and will provide for an opportunity to discuss how foundations can really foster dialogue and continue on that collaboration mode um, and continue to play the role of empowering the most vulnerable people and accelerating a transition to more sustainable models. So a little bit as Franz said, I think um, it, it will be an opportunity to look at the light that comes through the cracks and think about what is next for philanthropy in terms of tackling those major societal challenges that we're facing today um, and what the models and the responses of philanthropy will be for tomorrow. Thanks very much, Delphine. Thanks also to Franz Kahl. We're talking about the uh, the plans uh, for the conference in Vienna in October. Now, let's talk about society and let's talk to uh, Claire and Saura. Uh, Claire, let me start with you uh, on the impact, the impact of the pandemic uh, on social cohesion, inequality uh, and justice. As, you know, as Franz Kahl was saying, this is kind of a moment to seize, to look at those cracks of light as we look, let me mix the metaphors, look at the light at the end of the tunnel of this crisis, where we go from here on addressing uh, this uh, inequality that obviously everybody knows has, has been aggravated uh, by the pandemic. Claire. Thank you, Chris. Um, well, I, I think, um, 
we, we very often said that uh, COVID was a crisis within the crisis. Uh, the bigger picture is um, we're, we're facing uh, major issues regarding uh, climate, regarding democracy, um, and these are still here. Um, and uh, and, and they really are the framework uh, of our lives uh, for, for the time being. Um, and, uh, and, and the, the pandemic um, has, I think, um, accelerated the awareness that changes are necessary uh, and, and need to take place. Um, they've put a new light on issues such as health and education, for example. And uh, we knew beforehand that um, to some extent, uh, some of our health systems were fragile. Um, and we, we did see that the huge, the massive pressure that the, uh, the pandemic has put um, on our health systems um, has, has shown the necessity to keep them very strong, very accessible um, and, uh, and, and very adaptable, adjustable. So I think, you know, the, the, uh, the, the importance of having very robust uh, health systems uh, has been particularly put into light by, the, by the, 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 the crisis. Another thing that was put into light was by the crisis was our massive dependence um, towards um, um, the making of masks, for example, making of medication and uh, vaccination. And so that, you know, the, 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 uh, the necessity to um, have um, local uh, production um, is, uh, has, has also been emphasized um, by, by the crisis. And beyond that, um, the, the, I think what, what worked really well in the very early times of the pandemic was local solidarities, local networks. Um, in a time when, um, when the, the pandemic broke out, somehow I think the denial was massive and we didn't expect that um, things would turn out the way they did. And there was this initial shock. Um, and at that stage, the, the, the importance of, of local solidarity networks um, really uh, were a matter of survival for many people um, who didn't have access to food, who didn't have access to shelter, um, who found themselves locked into their homes, who couldn't go to school. So, you know, the, this, um, this was, was, I think, very, very much uh, put into light. So the grassroots, tapping the grassroots to address the issue. Let me uh, move to Sarah uh, quickly uh, at uh, Barrow Cadbury Trust. Uh, Sarah, let's look a little bit more at the impact, the impact on, on care, on health, on economic and education models. It's been, it's been quite massive, hasn't it, during this, during this pandemic? And, and how, how is this both a, a, an impact, but also an opportunity? Very, very, very much so, Chris. Um, I think the 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 whole um, exposure uh, during the crisis of the underlying inequalities that run through all of our societies uh, um, uh, have have been um, they've they've been they, they've not only been exposed, but they have also created the opportunity uh, by being being put in the spotlight. And I think mm -hmm. it's. Very hugely encouraging that so many younger people uh, than than we are on this call um, have been rising to that challenge. Both the challenge of their elders about our culpability in in the things that we have not adequately put right, 
but also in the the the, the huge uprising uh, certainly in our country and I think in in the others on this call of of particularly young people but not only young people volunteering in their communities you know the, the youngsters in my very street were on their bikes taking medicine round to neighbors this was many many tens of thousands of young people uh, yeah, that's an example of grassroots right absolutely and these are people who've not been if you if you would say activists or politically active in the past by and large uh, but what has happened is there's been an awakening to the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, an understanding through children being homeschooled of the, the inequality that women still face in, in the home with the heavy, heavy burdens of that. Myself, I'm caring for someone who's, uh, who's uh, 90. My, my mother lives quite nearby. The, these, are, these have been big responsibilities on people and those inequalities have been writ large. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan and I think that's a lovely way to open, <laughs> open uh, that this is where the light comes in. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was brilliant uh, from Franz Kahl. Uh, let's talk a little bit about solutions now. How has philanthropy reacted uh, to the crisis in terms of supporting the most vulnerable and at-risk uh, populations, Claire? Well, uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk about uh, a survey that was done in France um, considering the, uh, the, the, how the, uh, the, the, the foundations and funds responded, uh, private philanthropy responded to the crisis. And basically, um, most of the of organizations, um, 85% 80, of organizations maintained uh, their support to the organizations that they were, 85% of foundations maintained their support to organizations they were initially supporting, even when those organizations were not actually able to roll out the programs that they initially had planned to roll out, meaning that the, the philanthropic sector really responded by being there, being present, and making sure that organizations could continue functioning. Um, another thing is a lot of foundations turn to uh, a developing new alliances and new partners, new partnerships, um, and uh, about um, one out of four foundations developed new partnerships with other foundations in order to grow the impact and uh, and be stronger together. Um, and uh, about 50% of um, foundations actually changed their strategic planning and, uh, and their strategic mm -hmm. thinking to adjust to the new crisis. And a lot of them actually turned to the various civil society organizations they're working with to ask them how they were going to face this, what were the views on, on what was happening, um, how to deal with the situation. And they really adjusted to, um, to what needed to be done, showing a lot of agility, a lot of flexibility, and, um, and, and making sure that they could be to the point and respond to the emergency. Can you give a concrete example of that? Maybe what the Fondation de France uh, had, has been doing over the past well, year? Well, in, in terms of Fondation de France, um, I think we all went to the initial state of shock of you know, what was actually happening. But from the very, very beginning, even before the actual lockdown, we turned to uh, the, 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 the organizations we're working with. Mm -hmm. We made a quick survey on what was going, what was ahead of them, what were the issues. Um, and um, within few days uh, we developed um, um, a, a call 
um, for donors and uh, and a call for proposal to respond to um, um, helping the, the the carers and uh, and and all the caretakers in hospitals and you know doctors and support the health systems. Right. Um, help the, the most vulnerable and uh, we did turn to uh, in particular people living in the street uh, people um, living at home and being locked down at home for example the elderly people you right. know with disabilities who couldn't basically were locked down at home was that was um, that offering uh, uh, food or was it offering masks or or what sort of physically what were you offering um, well, we, we did address the food issue, um, and uh, and we initially we thought it would be a transitional um, problem, and it turned out to be a lasting one, because um, a lot of people actually had issues, um, they lost their jobs, um, yeah. and uh, and and had no means of uh, of of getting having access to food. So yeah, the, I remember they, I remember some of the, the the TV reports showing uh, students lining up for uh, for food handouts. It was absolutely. That yeah. Students, artists, uh, people with uh, you know non-long-term jobs, um, all sorts of people who normally would be working and, and were completely out of um, any you know any, any possibility to have access to resources. Uh -huh. yeah. So we, we did we did address that. We created connections between organizations. For example, uh, people preparing meals, and you know, we supported the the whole um, insertion sector um, by by um, helping them. Um, being able to maintain their activity um, by preparing meals, for example, that they would distribute to people who needed to have access to food. Uh, we created um, systems also to, 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 to uh, help uh, produce masks locally. Um, so by that, we, we both supported um, the, uh, the economy and supported the, uh, the social sector. So we tried to create some sort of systemic approach of, of this kind to, uh, to, to, again, increase the impact. Yeah, that's true. To to make up for some of the jobs lost, there were other ways to do that. Uh, how could, uh, Sara, how could European societies react to these challenges now that lie ahead as we get out of this crisis? And what opportunities are there for th philanthropy to play a role? Um, I agree with nearly everything that, that Claire said uh, has, has been happening here in the UK as well. So I, I think I'll, I'll answer that with uh, more thematic um, um, issues, which right. are that have been emerging much more strongly than before, and which give an opportunity for new ways of delivering uh, philanthropic capital. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think it, for us, this has been about um, about uh, about being more trusting, about uh, still that old chestnut about about uh, giving core money. Uh, of course, we all responded to the emergency um, in, in lots of practical ways. Um, but I think the sea change in, in the foundation space here, and I hope that this is going to last not, and not evaporate, will be a different way of working uh, entirely, uh, a, a much stronger drive to share power with uh, the, the the people uh, for whom this this money has been put in trust. Hmm. How do you mean by that? I beg your pardon. How do you mean by that? Um, I I mean um, that that we have an opening up of uh, of uh, of foundation leaders and boards to 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 
taking, if you like, a more democratized approach to, to decision making, to what needs to change, to, to listening to the voices of, of people uh, who have very different lives to we do. So I suppose you could apologize that as being um, a more bottom-up approach or, or a more listening approach uh, mm-hmm. to, to the work that we do. Um, okay. A more humbled approach. Yeah, uh, Claire, maybe we can uh, continue with that uh, because maybe that is part of uh, trying to strive toward a more sustainable and more resilient model of how philanthropy can can be a catalyst for this. Absolutely, I I, I absolutely support what Sarah just said because uh, I think the. Um, I, Ensuring the participation of people in topics that um, are a matter to them is key. Um, It's key because, uh, first of all, it's key to the quality of the programs. It's key to sustainability of anything that we might do. And it's key to the feeling that they belong to this history and uh, and it's um, they they, they're included in what's happening and uh, and they they're not left out. Um, I think that the the feeling, a lot of people um, in this world of globalization, but also in this, in this, uh, the pandemic has, um, has, has been terribly demanding in terms of uh, our adjustment capabilities. Um, And uh, I think people need to have a sense that they have control of their own lives and, uh, and that they're part of a common history and a common story. Um, and the, the, the way to make this happen it is to make sure that it's really nothing about them without them. Um, and, um, and, and that, again, is very, very key to the sense of belonging, to the sense of ownership, mm. to sustainability and to finding appropriate solutions. Because so is, this, is this working with uh, civil society groups or is this working with local government or who are you working with? Uh, to make it more bottom bottom up all of it yep. all of that and more i mean this is the responsibility of all of us and we've all been working uh, too too much in 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 our silos and if you're talking partic- say for example about um local economies and keeping money circular um, you, of course, you have to work with with anchor institutions that are the major employers. And of course, you have to work with local authorities. And you can't do that without working with civil society partners on the ground. OK, so <laughs> let's 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 talk then the the uh, the challenges of being a private actor on these social issues. What, what challenges do you have to overcome in this time of rapid and profound tr- transformation that's been spurred by this by this uh, this pandemic, but also uh, as, as we strive toward uh, transforming our economy? Uh, well, a number of things that there are challenges and they and they are challenges that can be overcome. I mean, we always say we, in, we, are, we are not supporting civil society. We are part of civil society. Um, and and we, we have to earn trust um, and we have to be expert in in what we know about to bring something to the table that is not just money. Um, so how you how you go about that, I think, is to um, is to build alliances because change does very few things can be changed structurally uh, by working on your own. Okay, challenges Claire, how do you how do you worthy? You have right. to trust by being transparent. Um, by being honest, by having integrity, 
uh, and by being um, um, uh, open and accountable for what you do. Can, Claire, can you pick up on that? How do you build trust uh, at the Fondation de France? Well, I think um, I, I would I would very much support again what Sarah just said um, because I think one of the challenges that's ahead of us is precisely how to create um, alliances, how to learn to work in cooperation rather than in silos, how to work uh, on on cross cutting approaches rather than than and interdisciplinary approaches rather than than again in uh, in in, um, in 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 very um, only in expertise. We need experts, but we also need people who are able to build bridges with other um, other experts and other worlds. Uh, we need to reach out uh, to to and work with people who are not like us. Uh, so one of the issues, I think, is to be able to work with other foundations, to work with civil society's issues, but also to work with local governments and also work to work with companies. The private sector, I mean, meaning by that, the private economic sector is working a lot on their um, corporate social responsibility and they're doing huge shifts on their own. So we, we need to build bridges between all those worlds um, and, um, and, and look at where change can happen um because um the, the 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 scale to which change can happen is an interesting question to look at um and um and and in in this again in this time of globalization which is you know it's a given it's it's our lives and and we're going to to do with this but the the truth of that is too that a lot of people lose grasp of their lives so we need to look at what level uh, change can happen and can be visible and people can feel like they're part of it so trust is you know also um, how you again how you work in, you know in transparency with people and how you develop competences to be able to reach out to uh, to all those different stakeholders Okay. Let me just ask both of you. There is, uh, as we speak, there is a, a forum uh, called uh, Generation Equality Forum that is going on right now in Paris on, gen on uh, gender equality. And it's uh, sponsored by UN Women and hosted by France and Mexico. Um, what about gender equality? That's a social issue, society issue. Um, how can philanthropy play a role in, in striving toward more gender equality? Um, the, we, in, in our particular trust, we, we, we have, um, we, we, we talk about putting equality at the heart of everything we do. And that's, uh, that has quite a long backstory. Um, but uh, philanthropy has a, has a, a duty to, to address uh, all of, all of these, uh, what we call the protected characteristics um, inequalities. And on gender, I think the, the, for us, the way to do that is to run a gender lens through everything that we do. So mm -hmm. we don't have a program ar around uh, 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 financing um, the uh, actions or movement of women. Um, and, uh, but what, what we do is interrogate in every single instance of everything we do, whether that's our grant making, our social investment, our impact investing, our shareholder activism, um, we, we stress test that for gender impact. And if partners uh, or prospective partners uh, can't answer the question about how what they're going to do is to have some impact on gender inequality, uh, then, uh, then we, we tend not to be involved with them. Okay. Uh, Claire, would you like to add it to that at all? 
Well, I would say that that uh, gender inequalities and and generally speaking, all in all inequalities should be addressed because inequalities create anger, they create resentment, um, they create um, a, a sense of self demeaning, and uh, and and yeah, and they're against you know they they. they it, it's it's uh, there. There's an issue of, um, of 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 looking at that to help promote resilience. Um, inequalities create again a sense of weakness and a sense of being left out. Um, so, absolutely, we 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 put the uh, the issue of inequalities um, in the heart of our actions, um, and uh, and I think we we definitely you know all of us should do more about that uh, because it's uh, it's really creating fractures and dividing lines within European societies. Um, okay. And I think we should do it humbly because um, very often it also questions the way we look at things and we should look at our own practices and the way we should address um, our, our lenses and our, our, our own bias and our capability to address that. So it's, it's about looking at it and looking at how um, unconsciously, we we you know we we create or we we maintain those inequalities. I think one other aspect of, of society and, and and the inequality here that we're trying to address after uh, the the COVID crisis is that uh, the Bruegel, the think tank here in in Brussels, says that eight percent of workers uh, educated to lower secondary level or below lost their jobs during the last quarter of 2019 and the second quarter of 2020. Whereas those with university degrees, the jobs increased by 3%. We're obviously seeing a problem of education. Um, how can philanthropy address that issue or how are you doing it now? I think, um, I think not only about education, I think we do have to talk about economic injustice and, and class. And obviously education is a key to that. And not, not, not only did, um, did, uh, people of who had higher education um, uh, fare, fare better in the labour market, but we were also safer because we all had the kinds of skills that meant that you could work at home. Um, and so that, so it runs extremely deep, this, when you start to look into um, the, the levels of education. We have a project in the UK um, in the foundation space called 10 Years Time, which is um, trying to... Um, create career pathways for people without higher education into, into the foundation space. And uh, that that's actually requires um, a, a, a lot of work. And we have someone shadowing our board at the moment from that program. Um, okay. uh, and, and this is very uh, complex because it turns out he and I went to the same school, but oh. with very different life chances. And uh, I, uh, so uh, that's that's a that's a, a very interesting question. I I I personally do not think that that social mobility is the answer to this. I think some of the uh, programs that are designed uh, are 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 designed in such a way as just different people uh, uh, move from between classes between, if you like, economic. Uh, economic classes rather than solving the structural problem that lies underneath that from from our, our point of view which is uh, uh, about uh, it, it is a much is much deeper than just economic qualifications but about what what do I value what have I valued this year I tell you the person that's kept my spirits up is 
is the is I walk along the, the coast every morning for an hour or so, uh, and the it, are the people that empty the bins of hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of fish and chip papers uh, on on our on our pier. You know, we've we we have got an inside out understanding uh, of of what matters and and who should be paid what. Okay, uh, Claire, any anything to add on that? Uh, the idea of of, of education and um, well. And education was clearly an issue in the center of the crisis because um, a lot of, uh, of, of school um, kids, um, students, uh, again, found themselves completely locked in their homes, um, in their rooms, uh, not being able to have um, the interaction that they usually have with their peers or with teachers, which is really the the blood of, of learning and, uh, and, um, and, 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 and teaching and, uh, and, and being in this process of discovering and, uh, and researching, etc. So um, it, it's, it's been a long 18 months and I'm hoping it's the end of it because otherwise we're going to have a whole generation which actually um, has been really cut off from um, the usual sort of learning channels that that um, young people usually have at that age, um, and uh, and we're seeing that um, in other countries, um, a lot of kids, for example, who were supposed to be at school and stayed at home, um, are not going to go back to school. So, I, I'm very concerned at a global level, you know, of the impact on education that the crisis is going to have, and one of the things that that happened to be absolutely key um, in uh, in in, in this time was digital education. Um, and again, um, the, the, um, the, the huge differences uh, that appeared uh, between among schools, among teachers, among students, um, among, um, um, you know, all, all of them, because not everyone, first of all, has access materially to, uh, to, to, uh, to digital tools. And even, you know, should they have access, they're not always um, savvy in using them. Um, so that there's a whole shift there. Um, I mean, we've all experienced that, you know, having all those Zooms, <laughs> conferences, etc. Um, and I think that a lot of that is going to stay, um, and 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 sometimes for the better. Uh, but but we're going to have to to find a, a, the right balance um, between, uh, first of all, making sure that everyone is comfortable with those tools and and using them appropriately. Um, but again, my hope is that um, we're we're done with this um, cutting up you know young people uh, yeah. from the rest of their lives because I think this is extremely damaging for a whole generation so a lot of issues to deal with uh, in, during this conference in October the the panel you're going to be um, uh, moderating on society uh, a lot of challenges there uh, thank you very much Claire thank you Sarah uh, thank you. Our thanks also thank to you, Carl and Delphine too it was really um, there, these will be lots of issues to deal with. Uh, in addition to society, we're going to be talking about climate, democracy, uh, philanthropy uh, during uh, this conference uh, in Vienna, the uh, European Foundation Center, EFC. Uh, and uh, so we'll be looking at those uh, during that conference. And if you want to find out more about these issues and to register for the event, uh, efc.be. My name is Chris Burns. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to hearing and seeing you soon in Vienna. Bye for now.